was it bad? What was it like? Working with him, working with her. You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And today, I am honored to welcome Terry Ralston, who played Jenny in the original cast of Company, making her my third guest this week to appear in that show. Terry Ralston also appeared on Broadway in A Little Night Music, and her off-Broadway credits include The Baker's Wife, Jacques Brel is Alive and Well and Living in Paris, I'm Getting My Act Together and Taking It on the Road, and Home Again, Home Again. She also directed Side by Side by Sondheim with Peggy Lee, Follies with Betty Garrett and John Raitt, and productions of No No Nanette, Me and My Girl, and more. Her solo CD, I've Gotta Get Back to New York, is available anywhere where music is found. So now, without further ado, Terry Ralston. So I would love to start by asking you, um, how did you first become interested in theater? Okay, so when I was about nine years old, younger than you, um, I was living in Holyoke, Colorado, up in the middle of nowhere, up in the north end, you know, northeastern corner of Colorado. And there was no theater. The movie theater kept going out of business. I had no exposure whatsoever. Somehow, where it came from, from above, you know, I don't know. But I started producing shows in my garage. um, And those shows consisted of, I think we hung a trapeze and someone maybe hung from their knees and we did magic tricks. And, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know that we did even any singing and dancing, maybe probably some, some singing. Um, but I so I produced a couple of these things in my garage. And also I was totally taken with movie stars. And, you know, my parents weren't theatrical. My dad was a doctor and my mom was a fabulous housewife and mom. And I was writing letters to movie stars because I also didn't even get to see all of these movies, you know, because there weren't, <laughs> but movie theater was not often running. Um, and, you know, actually not, not on television. Um, we didn't even have television at that point, but I started writing letters and I still have this fabulous collection from, from people like Jimmy Stewart and, you know, uh, uh, with, you know, autographed uh, photographs. So I, I just really um, don't know where that came from. And then when I was 12, we moved to um, Laguna Beach, California. And I immediately got involved with a, 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 a kid's acting group. I was 12 at that point. And I remember my first, my first theater experience was The Ghost in the Green Gown. That was my first show. Ghost in the Green Gown. Um, then in high school, uh, and, and this is 
was the most influential person in my life. And it's why I love teaching so much. I, I had a high school drama teacher, Joan Lee Wohler. And, you know, I was involved in doing like assemblies and things like that. And I was kind of ambitious. I was girls league president and, you know, junior class president and all that. And she saw me do this uh, um, thing in the assembly, you know, this song, my baby loves the Western movies, you know, it was a little, uh, you know, silly thing. And she says, that girl has talent. So she said, I want you to come audition for the high school play, which was Carousel. And so I was cast as Carrie. So that was actually my first show. And I, you know, really got the bug. She then entered me in the Orange County acting competition for high schools. And I did this, this one act play called um, Hello Out There by, by Sir Royan. And um, I, I did that and I won Best Actress Award. Oh. So that all, you know, it feels good when you find maybe you're excelling with something, it feels good and it draws you even more to it. And then she suggested I, I was going to go to Colorado, University of Colorado and become a teacher. But she said, you need to go to San Francisco State University. They have this incredible drama department and you have to go there. So I did. So I went to San Francisco State and then, you know, was a drama and music major and started out in opera. And, you know, I, I thought the kids in the theater department were more fun. So I, I drifted over to theater, which was a very good decision and uh, got this incredible education um, in, in theater. And so when you started um, professionally auditioning for theater, what was that like? Did that come easily to you or was it a struggle to get jobs at first? Or? <laughs> I just am one of the more blessed people that I know. Um, I was in San Francisco. Um, I, I was in my senior year. I, I mean, my early auditioning was certainly in college and I auditioned and I, I didn't get most of what I auditioned for. I, and I remember there were shows that, that, were, that I felt I should have gotten. And actually, some other people did, too. Um, wonderful town, you know, um, very, very right for that. And I didn't get it, but I was in the chorus. And also, Once Upon a Mattress, um, I, I didn't get that. Um, and I was in the chorus. I, I, I think in, in Once Upon a Mattress, I was... Uh, Princess number 12, who, who gets the bird. <laughs> In my senior year, I ended up doing a lot. I did a lot of checkoff and, and the, the lead and the boyfriend and, and how to succeed. So I did a lot finally in my senior year. But while I was in college, uh, I was going to... Um, I got a chance to do... You know, I've had like three shows in my life that I've seen, and I thought I have to do that. I have to do it, and and I loved the Fantastics. Oh, and they were doing it in my hometown, and um, of Laguna Beach, and they asked me to <clears throat> to do it. So I mean, that that wasn't an audition, and um, my teachers and I had a lot of liberal arts classes, you know, math and history and all that. They all gave me an incomplete. 
so I could go do the Fantastics. And then I, I went back later and, and of course finished. But, and while I was doing the Fantastics, um, the, the guy playing opposite me was with the Young American Singers. And, and he said, well, they're, they're looking for another person, you know. And, and I, I guess I'm, I certainly must have auditioned for that. Um, uh, I must have auditioned for it. And I got it. Can, you can hear my dog barking, I'm sure. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Okay, that'll be nice background. <laughs> and anyway, I got the Young American Singers, and I, I, uh, I toured with Johnny Mathis. So, you know, and that was an incredible went back, got my teaching, went back to school, got my teaching credentials after that. Again, I don't even remember the audition, you know, because it was just, I was so lucky. Then, um, you know, I'm just telling all this because, you know, these didn't involve auditions. I just got jobs offered. I was doing my um, ca a cabaret show at the, which the Purple Onion, which was this famous old, club in San Francisco. And again, a friend was doing this show um, called Your Own Thing, which was, it was the first production out of New York, was it was well, LA and then San Francisco. And they wanted to replace their leading lady. And so he recommended me. So they came and saw me at the Purple Onion and they cast me and I hadn't even seen the show. And so I went and saw it and I thought, oh my God, can I do that? You know, but did had a wonderful director, Rudy Toronto. And um, I did it in San Francisco and an opening came up in Philadelphia. And I thought, you know, I wanted, I want to discover New York and it wasn't to go have a career. Oh. We just, I want to go experience New York. That's a great way to go places. It doesn't put any pressure on you. So I went to Philadelphia and did your own thing. And I went into New York to see some things. And I think I, I got an agent while I was doing your own thing. And uh, Stephen Draper. And um, I went in and saw the second show in my life that I said I have to do, which was Jacques Brel is Alive and Alive in Paris. And I, you know, was very young. I was maybe 22 at, at that point. 23. I was just, at, that was the year I, out of college. And um, I saw in the program who the stage manager was. And so somehow I was able to call and talk to the stage manager. Now, I must not have had an agent at that point. No, I, I wouldn't have had an agent because um, I just called the stage manager and I said, I want to audition for your show. <laughs> And so he, he set it up and I had an audition and I, I got it. I got into Jacques Brel in New York. So that was really my first show in New York. And um, so while I was doing that, I mean, it's just, it, it, it just one thing leads to another, you know, and I just, I, so it wasn't really going out and standing in line. So then I did, uh, they were doing Jacques Brel in California and I thought, well, I'm, I'm kind of homesick. I want to go back to California. So I went to California and um, and did it um, in, in L.A. While in L.A., I met, at, by coincidence, sitting next to him in a club, met George Firth, who wrote Company. Oh. And, you know, he's he was kind of 
crazy and weird and we're talking and visiting and he said are you an actress and I said yes and he says well I've written a show I think you're right for something from my personality he didn't know anything about what I did so in my young years I said oh well if you want to come see me perform you can come see me Jacques Brel tomorrow so he did and he then wrote to Hal Prince this letter by the way I have heard and know is true is up in Lincoln Lincoln Center Library the, the letter that George Firth wrote to, to Hal saying I just found Jenny so um, I didn't know anything about any of that I went on and did Jacques Brel up in San Francisco and then I decided I just I, I wanted to go back to New York but so I went back with seemingly no work and they put me back in to Jacques Brel. And then, so this I can talk about. I, I, this I remember, this audition. So I got an audition for company. And so, mind you, up until that time, but even at that, I had help, you know. Um, and so I auditioned for company and I, I got a call back. And then George Firth called me up and he said, you got it. You got it. And of course, I had no idea the significance of what that show would do for me, you know, would, would, what it would mean in my life, you know. So so I got company. But but then after that point, still talking about auditions, um, I I did it for two years. I, I mean, I can tell, you know, it's boring. I mean, I did lots of auditions for commercials yeah. um, and I, I did a lot of commercials. You know, I did a lot of them. Uh, but I wasn't really out auditioning. Um, and I did that company, you know, for a year and a half. I did it in uh, New York, and then I went and did it six months in California and came back and then went to London with it. And then when I came back from that, you know, I'm just like doing a monologue. Oh. <laughs> Get me started. I mean, just, you know, um, I, uh, it's, it's fun to think about all, you know, those times. Uh, when I came back, then Hal was, uh, Prince, they were, in, you know, working on a little night music. And I wasn't going to be in that initially. Um, um, Hal said, you know, I was his favorite American cheerleader and he wanted it to be very European. But then they were doing, they did backers auditions for the record companies. And um, so Hal and Steve, well, Hal asked me to do it. So so I was the first person to sing any of this stuff from Little Night Music. I, you know, went over to Mr. Sondheim's place and he would play the music for the first time for Hal and me and I would learn it. And then I did the backers auditions with with Steve. And so I never auditioned for that show. And then uh, Hal called and said, well, we want you to be in it. We have this idea of the Liebes leaders. We want you to do this. So anyway, so then I did that. And... <laughs> Uh, I, I still had not really auditioned very much. Um, while I was doing a little night music, I had decided that I had never done summer stock or regional theater, and I wanted to grow as an actress. So I, I wanted to audition to go do something else. I, I didn't want to stay with this hit Broadway show. <laughs> I was really, really stupid. Um, or naive or whatever but at any rate I don't regret it so but I couldn't get my agent I couldn't get anybody to send me up an audition they said you are in this hit Broadway show you you know 
And so I went out to open calls. I just went out to open calls and people say, what are you doing here? <laughs> anyway, um, you know, that, that, that's, I, I have not had to go what kid, kids have to go through today. I never had, and it was different then, but you know, it's brutal now. You know, I, I teach a lot and, and I teach auditioning and, um, you know, kids have to get up at five in the morning and go stand in line, sign up and stand in line to have them come and say, you're typed out, you know, it's just brutal. I, I never, I never had to do that. Um, I never had had to, I mean, although it's a perfectly good thing, I never worked as a, as a waitress or anything. And, and I'm not putting that down because that's really, that's good work. Yeah. But I, 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 let me just say, I have been unbelievably blessed. And so when you were um, initially doing company, what was it like to work with Hal Prince in rehearsal? <laughs> what was that must have been? Well, Hal was um, just this incredibly uh, conceptual director. He knew exactly where it was going to go. And of course, company was in really good shape. I mean, you know, it was because I, I, I have I've done a couple of, you know, flops <laughs> shows on the road that didn't make it to, to New York and and how, how very stressful that is. But I didn't know any of that when I went into company. You know, I just, oh, it's just always this way. And I mean, it was the first collaboration, of course, of, of, of Steve Sondheim and Hal and Michael Bennett. And, um, you know, I had nothing to compare it with. I was very green, very green. And um, I didn't know even the, of course, I studied theater and, you know, but, I didn't know what power, and of course, they, they, you know, Steve Sondheim wasn't that known at that point, nor was Michael Bennett. Hal had produced a lot of shows, but he wasn't known that, you know, in such a way that he has, be, you know, became renowned. And um, Hal, um, as I say, was so conceptual and he knew exactly what he was doing. And, and I adored him. I absolutely adored him. Um, he, he was the, the, the scene, my scene was, you know, we always referred to it as the pot smoking scene. It was, you know, the couple that gets stoned, Bobby comes over and gets some stoned and we laugh hysterically and roll on the floor. And, and um, I was doing Jacques Brel and I, I was loving it so much that I, I almost didn't accept company. Oh. I almost said no, because I didn't want to leave. So I continued doing Jacques Brel at night while I was in rehearsals for company. And that drove Hal crazy. Because you've got to get out of this. You've got to get out of this. And I mean, I, I did eventually, but yeah. I, I just didn't want to stop doing it. And um, the, the pot scene was one of the problematic scenes one of the ones that maybe took some some of the most work because it just wasn't quite gelling. It wasn't quite working. And, um, you know, and Hal just kept saying, you know, laugh more, more energy, more energy. You've got to leave Jacques Brel. You <laughs> and, you know, I, I at times went to my dressing room and cried, oh, they're going to fire me. They're going to fire me. And, um, but what had to happen was that the, the, the pot, the, the scene was too much about pot smoking and not enough about the relationship. And, yeah. You know, it, it, it took some rewrites, you know, it, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
took some rewrites and, and you know, it got fixed and it, and it just worked like a charm. And, but but I, how, I, you know, I, I just can't say enough about him. I just, I love that man. Um, I would go and up and visit him in his office and, you know, he's just a brilliant, wonderful man and everybody feels, he makes you feel like you're the most important person and, you know, he makes everybody feel that way, I think, you know. So, yeah, it, it was really good working with that. <laughs> and so maybe a little bit more difficult to work with was Elaine Scritch. And what are your memories of being in the rehearsal room with her? Oh, I have so many. Um, I have so many Scritch stories. Um, Elaine and I became very close. Um, I, I was um, too young to know any better. And so I wasn't afraid of her. And um, she, she did some things uh like in one of the she you know okay first day of read through our first read through this is typical of elaine uh, we're all sitting around the table and elaine's late and then she comes in with a flurry running in running in with her little dog bridget barking behind her chasing barking you know so she made an entrance which you know elaine always liked to be this the center of attention and uh she liked to scare people and um she, um, at one point we were in rehearsal and Hal Hastings was our conductor and, and she was being really rude to him. And, you know, here little punk me said, I just said, oh, Elaine, that's rude. That, you know, so at the end of rehearsal, she kind of almost got me up to the wall and she said, why did, why did, did you say that? And I said, yes, I said, that was rude. Well, she totally respected that. She respected it, and we became great friends. Um, you know, uh, she she was hard to keep up with her energy, and you know, she would like to go out and have a drink, and uh, you know, <laughs> but uh, you know, I went out with her on occasions, but you know, just uh, th that whole social thing was, um, you know, certainly while doing the show. The, over the years, you know, after after the show, you know, I. I we really had a good friendship and and there were uh you know times when um you know we would have dinner and and pam meyer stayed close well you know she she lo loved us all and um it, one of the times that was pretty amazing uh, she was in uh auditioning for golden girls um uh and um she asked me to, you know, read with her and kind of work with her. And then I drove her to the audition and I went up and sat with her in the, in the room and everything. And, and, you know, heard all the behind the, the scenes stuff of going into the room and, and, uh, uh, well, I won't even get into that on the air because it involves some foul language, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, she, she was using her humor and, uh, they didn't get it. And anyway, she didn't get the role. But um, living through some of these experiences with her, and of course, you know, we were in London together with it, and she just, uh, she stayed, uh, she stayed a good friend, but she was a difficult friend. She was, a very, she was a very difficult friend, no doubt about it. You know, she, she was well known for, you know, going to AA because she stopped drinking, and at one point, we were going to have dinner, and... Uh, she said, come on, come on, you'll, you'll come to a meeting with me. 
no, those aren't these private. I'm not. She because it was Elaine, they let me come in, and I sat at the back, and uh, at an AA meeting, and at some point they say, you know, would would everyone please please stand, or everyone who who's here for the first time, or who who wants to join, and of course I sat there, and like everyone was looking at me, thinking, oh, she really wants to join, but you know, it was so awkward. <laughs> So I found myself in some interesting times with Miss Scripps. <laughs> yeah. And so what was your perspective on the um, replacement of or the quitting of Dean Jones and having Larry Kurt come in? And Well, um, you know, at the time, um, Hal came and this was two weeks into the rehearsal. And at the time, um, Hal came and said that he had uh, uh, Dean had hepatitis and had to drop out. And of course, we all loved Larry, you know, I mean, Dean was fabulous in the show. I mean, if you, I'm sure you've seen the documentary. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he, he was fabulous in the show, but he was not happy. And um, but I just assumed that he had had hepatitis. Well, the truth was and, and he, he was the first to admit it when, when we did um, is after Larry had passed away. We did the, the company reunion you know, at Lincoln Center and uh, out in LA and in Long Beach. And so Dean came back and did that. And he said he was so grateful to have that opportunity because he said, you know, I, I just was thinking only of myself. He said, I was, I was going through a divorce and it was, and even though Hal Prince kept saying, this is a pro-marriage musical, he said, everything that the musical was saying was what I was going through with my divorce, you know, and, he just wasn't happy, and so, so he 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 got out of it. And uh, but he he said he was so happy to be able to do that reunion, and come back and kind of close that door and yeah. apologize to all of us for leaving. And he was a dear dear man. He he uh, he came to see things that I did. I did a side by side by Sodom Mountain Ventura, and he lived out that way. And he came and saw it. But he, he was he was a good man, but of course I adore Larry Kurt and and we, we were great friends. We became great friends, and so he was wonderful in the role. And then, what was it like to have George Chakiris in the role on the tour? And what was his? Well, name? I didn't really do it with George because oh. what 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 happened was um, he was doing the tour, and some of us wanted to go to to California. I wanted to go back to California. So it was great what Hal did. He six of us from the original cast went to and did the L.A. San Francisco version. Uh, I mean, you know, we did that stint. I should say, not version. Uh, we we did the uh, the four months in in L.A. and then two months in San Francisco. And the people that were going to go on the tour then went and filled our our roles on Broadway. And then when when that six months was over, we went back into our roles and the tour continued on to Colorado. And yeah. And did you find that the audience response to the show was different in London and LA from New York? Well, actually, yeah, actually they got it better. Oh. They, yeah, yeah, they, they, were, they were fabulous. I mean, New York audiences were good, but, but you know, they always say it was, you know, a little bit before it's time. Um, and you know you'd have your nights where people didn't like it, and and but oh, London just went all out for it, and they really I remember they they really um, 
it, 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 this was, you know, back in the 70s and they, they were, uh, you know, I, I was trying to say more of a, a theater town in New York, but that's not true. But they really, really appreciated us, you know, and they treated us like royalty. Yeah. So that was, that was wonderful. I had a great time in London. Yeah. Great time. And so I'm curious about a little night music, but before that, I'd love to ask, what was it like to be in a rehearsal room with Michael Bennett? And Oh my God, the energy, the, you know, oh. just, you know, the, the creativity and, and, um, um, but even, even, you know, choreographers and even people brilliant like him, I, I there were times where he didn't know what to do. Yeah. You know, he, I, I think, I think maybe d during side by side, you know, try, trying to come up with ideas for that. And um, he, uh, there were times where he was really stumped and, you know, uh, it, it happens because he worked on his feet a lot. He, he created in the moment a lot. You know, some choreographers have everything all slated out, but Michael um, was more creative in the moment. And sometimes you, you just don't know what to do. You know, uh, but he was oh, just a powerhouse of energy, just a powerhouse. I suppose, you know, I, you know, I wasn't a dancer, so that always scared me a little bit. But they hired basically all non-dancers except for Ms. McKechnie. You know? <laughs> and um, watching that whole thing be created was, was really exciting, really exciting. Uh, but but he he choreographed for all of us that weren't dancers, you know, and. Uh, that that was i think amazing what he did just amazing he this was michael's first show yeah. and what he became later his personality changed a lot and you know i i think he was very difficult i think he was very difficult but but not not doing company yeah. you know and I think he, he, they, he, well, they all, they collaborated very well. Hal and Steve and Michael collaborated very well. And so then I'm curious to ask about A Little Night Music. How did this concept of the sort of Greek chorus develop? And well, you know, I don't know how it developed. I mean, it, it, it wasn't in Hal's um, concept originally. And um, so I, I wasn't there. Um, to, to hear how it happened. Um, I just know that it happened kind of late. And we, when we were doing the, I think they, they needed a device to help tell the story a little bit. And um, well, since it was, you know, Ina Klein and Knock music, that, that, that whole kind of fit into the whole feel of it. And um, you know, he, whenever this show is done, people, well, I've done it again. I mean, I've, I've done it. I've, I've aged in it because of, you know, I was first uh, Mrs. Nordstrom. And then um, I stood by for Desiree um, at the, uh, in Los Angeles, the uh, productions that they, Mark Taper, Gordon Davidson directed. And at that point, I was understudying Desiree, and Glennis Johns, who was the original Desiree, was playing Madame Arnfeld. So it was, you know, some full circles. And then uh, 
um, I was a member of South Coast Rep and um, I'm you know, a founding, uh, an original member. And they called me, you know, they were doing it. And I thought, well, they're going to want me to do Desiree. And they called me and they thought they, and this was a while ago. And they said, we thought you'd be a wonderful Mrs. Armfeld. <laughs> I just was shocked. Absolutely shocked that they thought I was old enough to play. But, you know, with a wig and a wheelchair and all, you know, it all worked. But that that director kept saying to me, who, who, who are the Liebes leader? I don't understand them. I don't understand them. And, and people try to over-understand them, you know, because... They're the Greek chorus, and and it, it, it's up to the actor to form his his own little byline, you know, because they, they, it, it's obviously sexual. I mean, because you know they're talking about their relationships, and oh, I think it was you, the old, you know, we, I think it was you, and and the fun, but they're they're commenting on what's going on in the show and the tone of what's going on in the show. And if you try to analyze it too much, explain it to, you know, for a director to try to explain it too much. They are the Greek chorus and they help tell the story. I'll never try to, you know, explain it. Because you're, 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 you're commenting, you're observers. That's basically what you are. You're observers watching this story and then you're commenting on it in your own life. So it was really fun. I mean, oh my God, we got to wear, my, my greatest fun thing was getting to wear Florence Klotz's costume. One of my great, cause I'm, I'm earthy, you know, I'm not, I'm not this. And, and one of my greatest compliments was Florence Klotz. Um, I, you know, had this gorgeous, gorgeous gown. And she said, now that girl knows how to wear a costume. You know, <laughs> I loved it. So I guess I had a degree of elegance <laughs> that um, I, I developed. So that was, uh, you know, wearing the costumes were great fun. And singing all that fabulous music. I was um, telling um, actually a fabulous, fabulous opera singer, Susan Graham, um, I was talking to her yesterday and, and I was telling her about um, the, the overture when we were in rehearsals, um, we were kind of playing around and, and, and the conductor, Hal Hastings had uh, a Ben, Ben Raisin. He said, go down and sing a, sing a, 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 a bass baritone, an E. And then he says, Terry, go up, go down and sing a high E, you know? And so this is, you know, so, so I went out and did my, you know, this big, big old note. So it stayed in the show. <clears throat> it was in the overture. And I was telling Susan Graham, who's this incredible, she's a mezzo. Uh, and I said, and she said, at E above high C? <laughs> I said, yeah. And I said, the funny thing is, is that now whenever they cast that role, they have to have someone who can sing high E. And, you know, I, I'm just born that way. And but there's a lot of people that can sing it. Susan, I mean, you know, Jenowitz certainly, not Susan, but, um, you know, Kristen Jenowitz certainly can. Uh, and a lot of people can, but um, not everybody can. So that becomes a part of the, the casting thing. But that came, that came into the show. And um, on the record, um, the whole overture, they didn't have time. So the overture is not on the original cast album. So, so Steve Sondheim, um, sent me a, uh, oh, it was one of those 45 records 
and it was just of the overture. And, and he sent it to me and he said, waste not, want not. So, so I have that, uh, which is very nice. Uh, in a later later production, I think that they, they do put the overture on, but it wasn't, it's not on the original cast album. And what were some of the other sort of changes or developments that were made to Back Shell? A little night music? Yeah, during the course of a movie. Oh, well, um, it didn't come in as finished. There was quite a bit of it Steve hadn't written. And as I said, I was doing the backers auditions with him. And so there were songs that I did. One was called, called Twin Fairy Tales. And uh, that ended up not being a show. There were, were several things that, that weren't in. One thing that wasn't written was that whole weekend in, a in the country. That wasn't written when we went into rehearsals. And so Steve, as he would often do, he would have the, the playwright uh, do um, write out the scene. And then he would write the songs based on that. And so he had Hugh Wheeler uh, write out everything that happened. And then he wrote this brilliant thing of tying everything up, the different people and the different duets. I mean, that, that's the, a weekend in the country is absolutely brilliant. So, so Steve wrote the music after seeing it. Um, same thing with Send in the Clowns. He hadn't written Send in the Clowns. That came in late. Uh, he watched a scene that was being played between uh, uh, Lynn Carrier and, and, uh, and Glennis. Um, and he said, well, this, they had thought it was the, the guy's, you know, Henrik's scene. But he said, no, 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 this is Desiree's scene. She needs a song. It's, it's, it's about her. And then he went home in one night and wrote Send in the Clowns. So, so that came in very late. Um, George Lee had a song, this happened on the road, uh, called Silly People. Wonderful song. But at that point, the Miller's son hadn't been written. That came in later. And uh, so when that came in, Silly People had to go. They, they just couldn't do after that. Um, he, uh, um, if came in a lot later. Um, so uh, quite a few of the songs, I, Steve was struggling over that one, uh, if, and, but it all, it all, uh, it all came together really, really beautifully, really beautifully. You know, it's incredible. Um, there's some composers that just write a lot of songs and they're thrown out, you know, and, and for Steve, th this one had, you know, maybe what, four that were cut out, you know, not a lot. And, and um, he, when he wrote something now, well, of course that's for company, you know, they had to do three versions of, of being alive. You know, he had well, four different songs he wrote and Hal kept saying, that's too bitter, too bitter. And it ended up with being alive, but, but uh, the stuff that he ended up with on uh, um in a little night music. I think the, the Liebes leader stuff was, was pretty much set. I don't remember that coming in late. Oh. And then, as I said, the Miller son came in late, but you know, it came in right, you yeah. know, <laughs> it came in and answered exactly what they needed. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And so I'd love to ask about um, working with Hermione Gingold, who is another grand dame of the theater. Oh, God, again, I loved her. I loved her. Um, I, I, I laugh about this because 
you know, I was, when I did, by, by the time I did a little night music, um, I don't know if I was 30 yet, but, but I was young. I, I, I don't know if I had turned 30. I'd have to figure back. But at any rate, the first day of rehearsal, somehow myself, I, I mean, I, I probably instigated going out for a drink. And Glennis Johns and Hermione Gingle and I, the three of us, three different generations went out for a drink. And, and what do you think we talked about? About the show? Or what we talked about man oh. <laughs> who's available who what what uh men boyfriends had they shared in life this is hermione gingold you know and she said well you know my boyfriend is arriving and he he actually did give me a wooden ring. Well, she didn't talk like that. He actually, you know, I can't do it. I, I don't do voices. He actually did give me a wooden ring. And, uh, you know, she always had a young man ar around her. And she had a dog, a wonderful dog, whose teeth had fallen out. Oh. A sweet Hal Prince thing. Um, he went up and the dog was trying to, you know, lick him. And, and of course, the tongue was out coming here. So Hal just put his face around. Oh. You know, it was so sweet. Um, Hermione and Glennis um, ended up, it, it was a little competitive. And they, they had to work out having, because Glennis would have the first dressing room, but but Hermione wouldn't couldn't go up the stairs, and um, so they had to work out a thing of dividing the dressing room, and and all that became became a little uh, little touchy. But but oh, she was so good. She was just so good, and one of the funniest people. Oh my God, her sense of humor, her sense of humor was just great, and we we got we got along great. I, I again just loved her loved her i'm trying to think of some 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 fun fun stories nothing is something nothing specific at times that we had uh, i remember coming back for a party for her um, when she was leaving the show and um she she you know she was she was she's a wild fun lady and classy and classy yeah. Oh, and you were interpreting those other two parts of Desiree and then Madame Felt. Did you do it similarly, or what did you change from their performances? I, I, for, for for playing um, um, Madame Armfelt, I, I am so so not like Hermione, and of course I learned so much from her, and I knew certain where certain how certain things had to hit. You know, she had line readings that just you could not do any other way. And and I've seen other people do it and they don't, and it, you know, it, it's just, you know, just, you know, not figs, just raisins, you know, down in the deep, just raisins. And of course I couldn't do that, but 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 just the, the disdain of raisins. And, and the way I found to do, because I'm not nasty and I could, I couldn't, I couldn't play nasty. What my way of finding the truth for, for Madame Armfeld was, and actually I remember, I, I remember Elaine Scritch saying to me, 
she said, you know, I, as I've gotten older, she, she shared a lot with me. She was so honest, but you know, we'd cross the street and she'd bite at someone and she'd turn and she'd say, do you believe how awful I can be? You know, <laughs> she just real mean I can be. But, but she said, I, she said, when I found that, that as I've gotten older, I've lost my patience, you know, and, and so that's basically what I used for Madame Armfeld is just as you get, you, you, you've lost your patience. So I, rather than being angry, I was just impatient. Oh, come on, come on you know, um, and, and that worked. And it, it, as I say, that was truth for me. But in terms of the flair and, and, and just certain nuances, you know, were so in my head for, for yeah. my in terms of, of um, Desiree, I only stood by. So, you know, I only had, and of course, at that point, I was, I was um, standing by for Lois Nettleton, which was a very different uh, Desiree. Oh. So I had a certain obligation to, to kind of do what she did. Yes. So it, 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 you know, it became, um, it wasn't just my interpretation. It was trying to uh, certainly, a, a lot of it was filled with um, with what I had learned from Glennis. Um, I will say, however, I I do send in the clowns a lot. I'm asked to do that a lot, and the thing I learned from Glennis was. And unfortunately, not everybody does it this way. Um, I learned it, it's filled with irony. It's filled. It's and and irony can be so much more touching than feeling sorry for yourself. Yeah. And so often, people do send in the clowns. Just oh, you know, you know, feeling sorry for themselves. It drives me crazy. You know, sobbing at the end. And. Um, I I saw Judy Dench do it in London, and you know you learn from everybody you do. And when she did it in London, she did it very differently than she than I've seen her do on a recording. Because on a recording, she had lost that irony. And although you know she's brilliant with whatever she does, but it to me it became you know sobbing and you know which isn't my choice. But what she did in I shouldn't tell this because when I do it, but but she you know. Well, maybe next year, the line, well, maybe next year. She went to her gut of her soul and, well, maybe next year. And 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 I have found that, I, I use that. I go to the bottom of my soul, you know, well. And then you try to come out of it, maybe next year, you know. Um, and I, I got to tell you one of my, my, my biggest compliments. I, I mentioned Susan Graham, um, who came to see a Sondheim tribute that I did in LA a couple of weeks ago. And it was such a huge compliment. She said that she'd done the song many times and she said, watching me do it, she finally learned what it was about. And I thought, oh my God. But we, we talked a lot about it. And, and you know, I, w I was talking about the fact that, um, you know, and again, I, I learned going back, I, I know what Steve Sondheim wrote. You know, I know that it was not meant to be, you know, it, it has irony. Isn't that rich? 
Yeah. Are we a pair? It just is, it's not, isn't that rich? Oh my God, my life is over, you know? So, so yes, I, I have learned from everybody I've ever worked with. Some things maybe not to do <laughs> and some things I hope I am able to share. <laughs> yeah. And another great um, person who you worked with later on was Peggy Lee. Um, oh, yeah. What was that like in learning from her? Well, again, you know, I love Peggy. Um, it was, there were challenges because what, what, what it started out, um, I was going to, to co-direct it and be in it. And the, the producer was uh, directing it. And somehow a couple of days into rehearsal, he just left. He just left. And oh. so I became the sole director. And so Peggy trusted me. Um, we were out in Birmingham, Michigan, and she didn't have any of her people or anyone to protect her, you know, in terms of the lighting being right for her and everything. And so, of course, I was trying to protect her. Um, the challenges were that the set was, Peggy couldn't go up and down steps oh. and they had an elevator put in to take her up to a dressing room. And she also had kind of a vertigo she she couldn't stand without having something to lean on to hold on to well they built the set up steps with the piano on the higher level oh. so you know somehow she did manage to get up those two steps so she could because leaning on the piano is one of her things you know um and there was a period of time where she was seeing the, the, the spotlight would come on when it goes off. It, it has a little green glow. That's what happened. So she came down. And she said, "You are sabotaging me. You're 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 putting me in a green light." And you know, I, I had to explain to her, you know, no, that that you know, I mean, bottom line is, she, she did totally gain my confidence, and um, we liked each other enormously. Um, she was like, her, 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 her granddaughter was there and she was just like this grandma, you know, she'd make food and bring it in. And I mean, just everyone's, you know, she was absolutely delightful. Um, I was at her home many times, which was her color was, was peach. Every room in her place painted peach, you know, that, that, that was, that was her color. Um, a, a good thing came out of that. The, the musical director who I had brought in was this Paul Horner, and they ended up writing a musical together called Peg, and um, and it's had some life, you know. And um, and I put in different songs that you know Sondheim. It what isn't wasn't her, you know, strong suit. So I was able to put some songs in that weren't in, you know, like the boy from Takarumba, oh, you know, that, that silly song. And, um, you know, she did. And of course, all the ballads and everything she did great. And she also narrated it, which isn't usually the way it was done. But um, I think she had hopes for it to go in, you know, on into New York, Broadway, which which didn't happen. Um, but uh, I, I just feel so honored to have, you know, can say I actually directed Peggy, Peggy Lee, you know, I mean, I, that was, that was a, a thrill for me because I'm just, you know, I'm just a huge fan, huge fan. And, and, and so honored to, to think that I, I got to know her as well as I did. Yeah. Great. 
so to go back a little bit, I'd be curious, how did the baker's wife happen for you? <laughs> you want to get me started on the baker's oh, yeah. wife? Well, I, 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 how did it happen was Russell Baker, who was um, a, 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 had a column called The Observer, and he's quite a humorist and wrote wonderful columns. And I, I think Cy Coleman, I think it was his idea that, or maybe someone suggested, but I think it was Cy's idea um, to think that it would make a good musical. It's kind of about the American dream. He, you know, Russell Baker was, it was about, it was about American, you know, the middle-class American family. And, um, so Gene Sachs was directing, um, you know, it was just stellar, stellar people um, involved. And I, that I, I auditioned for, and I was in California, and that was all very nice because they, you know, flew me around first class, and I was the leading lady. Oh. Uh, there were two other women in it, uh, Lisa Kirk and Anita Morris, where we were going oh. to three females in it and uh, Lisa's Lisa Kirk was playing my mother and when we were in um, in um, Stanford Connecticut uh, so it's interesting uh, the guy who played my son uh, just put something on 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 Facebook about that you know oh. saying that we were all there and all of a sudden uh, Lisa Kirk's shoes that were always out in the hall were gone and we were just simply told that role had been eliminated. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no more Lisa Kirk. So it was uh, Anita Morris and I and, and then a bunch of men and they loved to get, go in a, in a, oh, and Anna White was the choreographer. So she was our other, other, you know, our other, she was my companion and we had our dogs and we walked our dogs and, and I loved Anna. And um, so it was, I, I, I remember I was pretty, uh, it, it was a show in trouble. It, yeah. was, it just never quite worked. And um, I was very strong. Um, that, well, this guy who, you know, who played my son wrote, wrote the, uh, this email saying that, that I was, you know, always above everything, you know, well, I had, I had lived through Baker's wife, you know, <laughs> you know eight, nine months on the road. You know, I had survived Baker's wife. So this was a piece of cake, but we were constantly in trouble. And I remember one day in rehearsal, I finally, I just broke down. I just broke down and started crying. And Gene Sachs also said, oh my God, I've made Terry Ralston cry because I was always a strong one. But it was just, you just kind of knew it, it just wasn't working. And the pressure involved on these poor, the producers and the director, when there's so much money involved and, you know, they, they it just didn't. So we we played there, and then we went to Toronto, and um, Dick Sean, of course, was in it. You know, and crazy wild man. You know, funny. Uh, but we closed in Toronto. You know, and and it it was hard. You know, when you're in a show that's not making it, it's 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 very hard. It wasn't as hard as Baker's wife, but, <laughs> and also I was a little older, a little more, not, not much, cut two or three years, but still a little more seasoned. And, you know, I, I did stupid things in, in, in Baker's wife. I was just uh, very young, and, you know, um, unhappy and, you know, did stupid things. <laughs> what do you think it was about Home Again, Home Again that didn't work? Was it 
the story yeah. of the sponsor. The, the, you know, the, it, it, the whole concept really didn't work, trying to link these, these, these stories together. Um, it was, um, uh, you know, it's about the American dream. Dick Sean played the father slash devil. I was the ideal wife, my husband. We were the ideal family with the two children, the, the boy and the girl. And it was kind of political, kind of making fun of the American dream. But the stories just didn't, the, the, the articles just didn't hang together in a cohesive way. There was some fun music, but it wasn't his best score. It, you know, it wasn't his best score. And, uh, but just the whole concept ju just, just didn't work. That, you know, they did a, they did a musical about it late at, later, uh, some, how many days, some 42 days to Broadway or something like that. And it was the, the writer's perspective. Oh, of writing a flat a, a show that doesn't work. So uh, that happened off Broadway. I, you can do some research. You, you might enjoy some some so many days till Broadway is the name, and I can't remember because I never I was in California. I didn't get to see it. That was their follow up about what it was like. So I, I and I have never seen it. I, I I'd like to actually read that script and hear that. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd be curious to ask you the same question about the baker's wife. What do you think it was that made that not be successful? Well, basically, Joe Joe Stein and Stephen Schwartz were writing two different shows. Um, that's one of the things. Um, Joe was was writing a show based on the Pignol movie. The Bonjouré, what anyway, the, the Baker's, I can't remember the name of it now, but the, bon, the Bonjouré, whatever wife is in French. Um, and it's a very, it's a beautiful film, but very hard for Americans to, to relate to because it, the, the whole center of it is about baking bread. The, 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 the baker brings this beautiful, young, sexy wife home. And she runs away with the chauffeur or the shepherd. It became different things in the rewrites. And um, in the movie, I think it's a shepherd she runs off with. And so the, the, the baker is devastated. So the townspeople all come together to help find the wife so he will bake bread again. I mean, that's, that's the central issue. That's very hard for Americans to relate to. So you had that. Um, you, Stephen Schwartz wrote this incredible score, which is um, a love story about, you know, and, and it became more about Jean Viev. Well, it was about the baker, but but it, it, it was, you know, it's more about the love story. And Joe Stein needed to adapt it more to they, to he 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 had a hard time doing rewrites and jokes just kept being kind of moved around and and um so that never came together they, they, some people felt that it was originally supposed to be zero mostel oh. and uh and then it was topol and and i thought topol was wonderful in it but a lot of people just thought he was just too attractive 
Oh. Because you have to, um, um, understand why she would run off with the shepherd. Um, the other thing is, I, 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 I think there was trouble with the way that the wife was cast, because I always felt she needed to be like a young Marilyn Monroe. She had to be extremely vulnerable so that you understand how she needed to be taken care of by the baker. And yeah, they had strong people. You know, Patty Lapone was wonderful, but she was very strong. Now, this this show keeps going through rewrites, and it does keep happening. You know, they they did a production in London, and so in many ways, it has succeeded. It it lives on, you yeah. know, and, and the songs from it, and and there's there's been I I actually directed a production of it too, and um, uh. It, it, it's it's uh, it's one of those shows that thank God will never die because it, it's it's there's so much so wonderful about it. But I, I you know I think again that, that a lot of it was hard for Americans to relate to, and um, the story just didn't make didn't grab people enough. I think. Yeah. And if you want to, I'm not sure if you want to talk about this, but what was it that made the sort of rehearsal process so harder, so grueling? Well, for one thing, um, eight months on the road of rehearsing the bread number. I mean, there was a bread number. We just they, they kept firing. Oh, I could go on forever. I don't mind talking about it. Um, the, the, always the first person to get fired would be uh, probably the lighting designer and the choreographer. We went through three choreographers. Um, the producers were not happy with Topo. Um, uh, the, the director was Joe Hardy, and when we were in San Francisco, um, they started bringing in other directors to look at it. I think the show was probably the best it ever was when it was in L.A., before they started messing with it. Um, and then um, they, brought, they brought in, a, and, and Joe Hardy just wandered off. I mean, you know, it was not handled. It was, there was so much that was not handled well. And then they brought in this director who had been living in Paris, who was sort of a great man-man. And, and he and, and Topol didn't get along. Um, uh, David Merrick was trying to take Topol up on charges. Uh, the, the leading lady was fired, was let go. Um, the, you know, all of the, 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 the if, if you, the list of people that were fired and let go, and the number of lawsuits. Cat Patty sued. Um, I, I, my experience. I was, I was uh, Denise, um, which was the cafe owner, and I was, you know, kind of supposed to tell a story. And and my song Chasson that Steve wrote um, was brought in when we were in San Francisco. But um, the, uh, the 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 story just kept. Uh, kind of not changing, but lines kept changing. And it, it, it just, you know, I, I, I the, the, the gal who was playing the lead, who was wonderful, Carol Demas, um, injured herself. And this was the first week. And I hadn't even looked, they had asked me to stand, you know, also understudy the wife, but I hadn't paid any attention to it. And I came into the theater on the Sunday of our first week, and I hadn't even been given the music or looked at it or the script. I'm learning my role. 
and the director said, you may have to go on tonight. I mean, you know, met a lot, just one, one number, seven minutes, you know, I mean, a whole, and everyone took my understudy into another room and worked with her. Everybody fl fled, including the director. So I called Topol and I said, come down and help me. He gave me the blocking. I said, okay, leave the room. I have to memorize, you know, young minds. I have to memorize this scene. I didn't go on that night. Um, the next day was our day off. And, oh, and I said, we cut Meadowlark. And so the next day I learned Meadowlark. And then Tuesday, they called me and they said, you're going on tonight. So I had to go on with learning the role in two days and no, one day of rehearsal. So I went on and I did it for two weeks. They had hired Patty Lapone and Patty was brought in and she actually learned um, learned learned it what you know the show while I was performing it at night for two weeks so you know it, there was just so much stress oh. you know I mean we had to go be you know between you know court cases and and we were all called in to testify against Topol oh. um, uh, you know it, it was it was all painful and uh, uh, argumentative and and changes and so you know as i say i could go on and on i think we had t-shirts made um i i survived baker's wife the final day this will kind of sums it up the final day of rehearsal we were in dc and i think someone said there were maybe 10 people in the audience at the kennedy center you know no, nobody was coming and we were in rehearsal they had taught topol and then made an agreement he left paul servino came in with all of this energy, oh, we're going to make this good. And, and at that point, the whole cast was just like, <sighs> you know, don't have <laughs> And we're in rehearsal and one of the actors, oh my God, I think it was a, the director. It was a director and one of the actors got into a physical confrontation with the furniture being ready to be thrown and they had to be pulled apart. That was our final day of rehearsal in DC. So, <laughs> ta-da! There's a there's a, a a brief, not so brief, uh, Baker's Wife sum up. <laughs> and so, I'd love to ask you about a show that you did. I believe three times, acting and directing, which was Follies. And so, how did you first come to that? The first time that you were so. Well, um, I was. Um, uh, you know, Follies was in between company and a little night music. And so um, I guess I was doing a little night music. And, and uh, yeah, because it was the end of the, yeah, because uh, Dorothy Collins was leaving Follies. And, and um, Hal Prince was in Mallorca and he called Ruth Mitchell, his assistant, and said, is there any way we can make Terry look old enough to take over for Dorothy Collins. Now the role is supposed to be 49 years old. And I was, I guess I was 30, you know, 31, 32 at that point. You know, I mean, really, I mean, so, I mean, we got, we put me in a wig and we dressed me up and we did all this stuff. And, and I walked out on the stage and people didn't recognize me, but Hal said, Hi, Terry. And I said, well, how'd you know it was me? And he said, I wouldn't miss that walk anywhere. I'm very, I'm very earthy. And so I auditioned and of course I wasn't, you know, it needed, the role needed to be older. Yeah. 
that I think they just said, well, what do we do now? And, you know, we wait. So it was, it was uh, one of those shows that I, I thought I have to do. You know, I, I, Sally, I really was kind of made to play that role. I mean, it's very right for me. And so the first one that came up, I think one of the, because it hadn't been done because it was such an expensive show. So they were doing it in San Jose and um, Harvey Evans, who had been the young buddy, was playing the old buddy. And so I got to do that production with, with Harvey. And um, I, I, I just had such a wonderful, no, wait a second. Was that the first one I did? No, I think the first one I did was in San Diego. I, you know, I honestly don't remember, but I did it at San Diego Civic Light Opera. And, uh, and then I did it again, you know, at, uh, at San Jose Civic Light Opera. And then I was teaching at um, um, Southern, at, at a school in uh, which David Green had, had, had started it. Uh, and he said, what show do you want to direct? And, and I said, well, let, let, I'd like to do Follies and we'll bring in all the, you know, the kids play the, the younger parts and, and, you know, I'll do Sally because I love doing Sally. And then he said, well, can you get in, uh, can you get any um, celebrities? And I said, you fly them in, I can get them. So it was a legendary, it was going to be just a reading, but, um, Harvey Evans and Kurt Peterson, the original young Guardian Band, came in and did it. Uh, Stephanie Zimbalist did um, Phyllis. Um, um, let's see, John Raitt was in it. Um, Janelle Allen. Um, Dorothy Wilson. Um, oh, it was, it was, you know, it was just an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, but Betty Garrett did did Broadway Baby, and it was we did it for two nights. And the first night, the word spread to L.A. and because we did it down in Orange County, and it was you know it was it was just an amazing experience. You know, so that that, um, and I, I guess that was the, probably the last time I did it. But it, it's my favorite role. Sally is definitely my favorite role. Another show you did that I'd be curious to ask about is um you did the show I'm getting my act together and taking the taking it on the road when oh you were I believe the standby for um well uh, originally yeah um that that again you know I, I said there were three shows that I saw that I had to do I mean Follies wasn't actually one of those three I mean I knew that I, the the third show that I saw in my life was getting my act together. You know, you know, folly, I mean, uh, fantastic shock brow and then getting my act together. I saw that and I said, I have to do that role. And so um, it was playing in LA and uh, Gretchen, um, you know, the writer um, was Gretchen Pryor um, doing the lead. And I don't, I don't remember if I had to audition for that. I probably did. I probably did, and um, um, I wanted to to stand by for her and learn it, you know. And so um, um, I I did it for you know for a while, and then she left, and so then that put me. I I, I then ended up standing by for Lola Falana, which was interesting, and then Betty Buckley came in and did it, and um, 
So uh, they all had their different ways of doing it. And then I, I went on uh, for Betty. She had to go to New York. And uh, anyway, the producers came in and saw me do it. And so they asked me to do it in Philadelphia. And so then I opened it in Philadelphia and we were supposed to have a, a run there and then go have an, I think an open run, but a good run in Boston. But the producer got like some serious cancer or a, a oh. spinal thing. And so he had to let the, the project go. And so we ended up not going to, uh, to Boston, which was very disappointing, but I did get to do it. And um, I think I also, oh, I did it also at one point in, in Laguna Beach, they had me come in and do it there. And uh, yeah, I love doing that. I just loved it. Of course, that, you know, old friend, the song from that was become, you know, was one of my, my go-to songs for years and years and years. I love it. Yeah, it's a, it was a great show. I mean, it's a little dated now, you know, um, uh, but it's just so wonderful. It's just such a great show. I've got such a great score. And so I'd love to ask about two of the appearances on TV that you did in um, Frasier and Murder, She Wrote. And yeah, well, I did a lot of guest guest stuff. Um, and um, uh, Murder, She Wrote, um, you know, it was, it was a great experience. You know, Angela Lansbury is just a, a, a dream person, one of the loveliest people you could ever know. And we knew each other because... Well, of course, we did that Sondheim um, uh, tribute. It was, uh, you know, the first one of those first tributes. It's the the album with, you know, the Scrabble, you know, and I mean, of course, we we were in that together, and and our our paths had crossed, and we knew each other, and my scenes were were with her, and her son was the like the producer, you know, the making. You know, and I mean, they just treated me like royalty. They 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 were just charming, and it wasn't a it wasn't a huge role. It was just I played the mother of of uh, the boy who they were worried that was I think he, he possibly accused of of a murder. You know, we had we were out searching for him, and you know, so it was just that one one shot thing, um, and uh, and and that was fun. I mean, that certainly wasn't one of the major things I didn't know, nor was Frazier. Uh, Frazier, uh, uh, David, David Lee, the, the writer producer is a, is a dear friend of mine, but, but I never got anything because of him. He, he was very, you know, he didn't hire his friends. You know, I actually got that from an audition and um, I played the, uh, in, again, not, not a major role, uh, the, the person who owned the inn were Frazier and Daphne, and not Frazier, um, Miles and Daphne go, go to get married. You know, it's a, that was the final two epi hour episode of, of whichever season it was. And so I had the inn. So I had, you know, a scene with them and all of that. And and before it was aired or anything, I went to a party at, at David Lee's and he was there at the door when I came in. He says, I'm so sorry, but it wasn't part of the, the storyline. So your, your, your scene is just really small. You know, we had to cut a lot of it. And I said, and I said, well, I still get my residuals, don't I? <laughs> so you don't, you don't see much. I, people say, oh, I just saw you on Frasier. So, I mean, I guess I, I'm still there, but it, it's nothing to write home about, but, but I had a great time on the set. I will say Kelsey, 
grammar is was a, a real gentleman. He made a point, obviously, to to know everybody's name. Because when you come into a show that's been running and you're just a guest, uh, you know, you sometimes just get shuffled aside and people, you know, he made he knew everybody's name and and um, because of my theater background and everything, they they knew of me and and um, everyone was just really lovely. You know, I just saw, um, you know, uh, uh, well, anyway, I just saw some, some of the folks from that. They honored um, honored David Lee. They gave him a, a, a star on the Walk of Fame in Palm Springs. And so everybody was there. And oh, boy, it's David Hyde Pierce, who is always treats me like a, a friend when I see him. And, uh, it's, you know, that it was a lot of the writers from Frasier. Uh, just these brilliant writers. It was an amazing event. So, so that was really fun. Yeah, and I had a great time on the set. You know. So, what inspired your um, recent decision to come back to New York? I think it was in around two thousand seven or so. Yeah, you are so well prepared. You're just <laughs> fabulous. No, you are. You've really, really done your research. <laughs> Make me think. I had been trying to get back to New York. You know. I, I, I went out to California after Baker's wife because it was such a bad experience. I thought, you know, I, I don't want to do this now. I want, you know, I wanted to go to California. And I, I had bought a house in California. But very luckily, I, I somehow always saved my money. And I had, I had bought two houses before I was 30. So, you know, I'm forever grateful for my in early investments. Um, so I, I went to California not planning to stay nearly as long as I did. And then I just kept getting work I couldn't refuse. I did a lot of television. I did a lot of directing. I directed in all the, you know, the Civic Light operas and, you know, all over the place. So I did a lot of directing and it was all a good time, but I kept trying to get back to New York. And at one point I actually rented a place. I said, I'm going to rent a place. So then I'll go. And they asked, uh, Carol Burnett was doing, uh, they were doing putting it together at the Mark Taper Forum. And they asked me to stand by for her. And I thought, oh, I got to do that. So I gave up the apartment and then, then more time went by. And so then I, I did another show in San Diego. And I said, I, I, I've just got to, I've got, I've got to get back to New York, which is the name of my CD. And so I said, the only way I'll do this is to commit to something. So I, I, I said, I'm going to commit to a teaching job. So I interviewed in, in several schools and uh, luckily they, they wanted me um, and I ended up um, accepting to go to AMDA, American Music and Dramatic Arts. And um, because they, you could do a five week course, you know, it wasn't a, like a year's commitment. So I started doing that. I started uh, teaching there and, and for quite some time I would, I did a lot, like a lot of off-Broadway things and, and workshops and stuff like that. And I got more and more involved with, with AMDA to the point where I just stopped being available to do, to do anything, shows. And I, and I have been teaching there. You know, I had been. I, I'm not now. Uh, at, I, I was away during COVID, and I just thought this is the time to leave. And it was also when I gave up, I gave up my apartment in New York in October. So sort of shifting, shifting gears. I will always be a part of New York, but because um, I have a place up in the Berkshires. So so that's my East Coast. And, you know, I'll be going into New York. 
So yeah, and now I'm you know I have a place in Palm Springs, and I'm 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 loving being here. So the very last question I'd love to ask you is, with such a great career, what advice would you give to somebody just starting out? Well, you know, a lot of advice that that um, teachers always give is only go for it if you absolutely have to. I, I don't. That's not my line of, of advice. My line of advice is, you know, if it's really important to you, do do it, study it, learn it, because what whatever you know, what whatever training you can get is going to help you with whatever you do. I mean, you will learn to present yourself. You will gain confidence. Hopefully, it will work in that area. Um, I mean, just going in for job interviews. Um, it's it, it's hard. It's gotten much harder now because of the amount of people, you know, going up for it, and uh, the type of things that they're hiring now makes it even harder in terms of uh, what's what pe they're focusing on now. Um, uh, and you know, youth is important, but but I I say go for it. Always have some other way of making some money because um it's terrible if you're trying to get work just because you have to pay your rent um i went back to experience new york so have other things that are important if you go back to new york at, you know to go also have other things that you love doing you know uh, observe people because that's just observe everything. That's how you learn. That's how you learn as an actor. And also keep your sense of humor. Yeah. You know, just don't take yourself too seriously. That doesn't mean you don't dedicate. You need the discipline and, and, and you need, you need to go for it. The reason I had such good luck um, early was because I was fearless because I didn't know any better. I called the stage manager. I said, I want to audition. You know, put yourself out, take, take chances, take risks, but don't beat your head against the, the wall your entire life. Don't, th th there becomes a time when maybe it just seems, here's, a, here's an email that I absolutely love from one of my students. Um, I, I wish I, I had a copy of it. He said, I came to New York, I audition. I studied. I went to school. I went on auditions, and I don't. I don't actually remember if he ever got a job. He went on auditions. Uh, I have done it, and now it's time to go home. Yeah. Th there is a time, you know. I see people sometimes, and it just it breaks my heart because there there's there's not a happiness, and it doesn't mean that you give up, but. You, you go on to other things and you, 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 you followed your heart. You yeah. gave it a shot. And I think that's important. But there, there's also a wonderful line in company. It was, it was Donna McKechnie's line. And she's leaving New York. And she, you know, I, I don't think I have it quoted perfectly, but it's, there's a time to come to New York and there's a time to leave. So know when that time is. You know, and for me, it was, it, it was this last fall. It, it was, it was a time to, to move out of New York. And, you know, um, 
but but just live your life live your life you know to the fullest and don't just can don't just keep beating your head against a wall because rejection 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 is hard to take even when you're trying to keep your sense of humor so find those things that don't reject you as well and grow grow that was my biggest my biggest desire i got a compliment from steve sondheim that i will cherish forever because i my, my biggest thing was about to get better and to grow and to learn from everything i was doing and closing night of company he came back and he said and for steve to say this he said you now have a perfect performance and oh, oh my god i have carried that with me my whole life so it just means i i got better and i grew and so i guess maybe i've done something right but keep that with you everybody yeah <laughs> well, turn grow and live your life a long answer to your question <laughs> and thank you for doing this whole thing it's been so interesting and I well you are delightful you are absolutely delightful and so well prepared and great questions i just thoroughly enjoyed this oh, and it's, it's listeners thank you for tuning in and remember to come back next time when i am joined by veteran actor jonathan hadari Jonathan Hadari is currently starring in the wonderful play Epiphany at Lincoln Center through July 24th. Among his other Broadway credits include Herbie and Gypsy opposite Time Daily, Nathan Detroit in Guys and Dolls, King Arthur in Spamalot, and roles in Torch Song Trilogy, Gemini, Awake and Sing, All Shook Up, Golden Boy, The Best Man, and As Is. He also appeared off-Broadway in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, Millennium Approaches, A Bright Room Called Day, Roadshow, Assassins, Coriolanus, God Bless You, Mr. Rose. Water and many more shows. His screen credits include Law and Order, Guiding Light, Sex and the City, Veep, and Girls 5 Eva. So make sure to tune back in for that, and thanks for listening.